10. The Bible says in 1 John 3, beginning in verse 3, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his, sin, uh, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of of God. The title of the sermon this evening will give you a hint on how to understand the passage, and it's this, seeing yourself from God's perspective. Seeing yourself from God's perspective. When God looks down at you, what does he see? Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand a passage that many have been left uh, scratching their heads. Uh, Lord, many have not understood, but Lord, a rich passage and one that can Help us to greatly appreciate, to breathe a, a sigh of relief when we understand how you see us through the scope of your Son. And Lord, what you expect of us as your children. Help us, Lord, to live lives that are uh, holy and righteous. Lord, help us to set aside uh, selfish living and help us not to trample underfoot uh, the cross of Christ. And Lord, uh, forget what great things you did for us on Calvary. Lord, give us a good service this evening, a sweet time together. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. While I'm thinking about it, let's go ahead and pray for Carol's daughter as well. I didn't get that in there. Lord, we do pray that you'd be with Carol with a stress test coming up, nuclear test coming up on her heart. But Lord, more urgently and importantly, we pray for Katie, as well as Lord, the other workers that work in our hospitals uh, that are dealing with these patients. Lord, protect our healthcare workers and help them to have the proper equipment they need. We pray that would be gotten to them quickly in cases where they don't have it. Lord, help them to be secure and safe as they work to help those that are sick. In Jesus' name, amen. Look back with me at verse number 3 of our, our text, and we begin to understand in context what verses 4 through 9 are talking about. Look at verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. This passage is a passage that is talking about us living a life that is pure. In 1818, Ignaz Philip Simmelweis was born into a world of dying women. The finest hospitals lost one out of six young mothers to the scourge of childbed fever. A doctor's daily routine began in the dissecting room where he would perform autopsies. From there, he made his way to the hospitals, uh, where, hospital to examine expectant mothers without ever pausing to wash his hands. Dr. Simmelweis was the first man in history to associate such examinations with resultant infection and death. His own practice was to wash with a chlorine solution, and after 11 years and the delivery of 8,537 babies, he lost only 184 mothers. That is a ratio of about 1 in 50. He spent the vigor of his life lecturing and debating with his colleagues. Once he argued, perpetual fever is caused by decomposed material conveyed to a wound. 
I have shown how it can be prevented. I have proved all that I have said. But while we talk, 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 gentlemen, women are dying. I am not asking anything world-shaking. I am asking you only to watch. For God's sake, wash your hands. But virtually no one believed him. Doctors and midwives had been delivering babies for thousands of years without washing, and no outspoken Hungarian was going to change them now. Listen to this. Semmelweis died insane at the age of 47. His wash basins discarded, his colleagues laughing in his face, and the death rattle of a thousand women ringing in his ears. Wash me was the anguished prayer of King David. Wash was the message of John the Baptist. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me, said the towel draped Jesus to Peter. Without our being washed clean, we all die from the contamination of sin. For God's sake, wash. Now, this is a message we're hearing a lot right now, right? From officials, wash your hands. And there are all sorts of ways they want us to wash our hands. And they want us to take, what, 20 seconds, is it, to wash our hands? And they want us to, what, uh, get the soap and get make sure you get the back of your hands and in between your crevices and even try to scrape down between your fingernails or keep them short. And uh, they want you to sing a song while you do that. What song is it they want us to sing? I've heard Happy Birthday, the ABCs, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Uh, I've heard Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Uh, I saw a hyper-spiritual pastor on Twitter put that you should pray for 20 seconds. Um, I don't know how you count and pray for 20 seconds. But, hey, whatever it is, we're to wash our hands. And why? The idea is there that you have clean hands and you won't share uh, germs and you won't share the bacteria. Now, today, pastors are standing up in pulpits all across America and they're talking about a different contamination. They're talking about the contamination of sin. They're talking about the filthiness of unrighteousness and how sin is taking people to hell. And uh, the, the world scoffs at preachers. In fact, the book of 1 Corinthians tells us that the, those that are lost, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness. They, 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 they laugh, they mock, they scorn. We've been living this way for thousands of years. What is the difference? And then pastors stand up and preach to those that are saved and say, hey, you've been saved from sin. Uh, put sin living to the side. Don't cozy up to it. Don't flirt with it, but rather uh, live a life that's clean and live a life that's righteous. And do you know what some people have the nerve to do? They have the nerve to stand up with their stick and hit preachers over the head that preach that way and call them legalists. Listen, if I have to be labeled a legalist to preach to you to keep your life clean and your life holy because you're going to give an account to God, then you can stick whatever label you want to on me. I'll I'll take the label of being a legalist. Now, let me be clear uh, this evening that I'm not saying that you need to worship standards and you need to try to outdo someone's separated living style. But what I am saying is that God has called us to wash our hands and cleanse our heart because we are to be separated from the world and separated to Christ. God has called us to come to the fountain of Jesus' blood 
and wash and be clean. I hope that you have done that today. To those of us who have experienced the salvation of this cleansing fountain, God has called us to live a uh, to live holy in a sinful and debaucherous world. We are to turn our backs on sin. We're not to flirt with sin. We are to be enamored with righteousness and righteous living. We're not to be enamored with wretched living. Too many folks uh, want to fit in with the culture and be cool and uh, 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 be able to sit around the water cooler at work and fit in with the conversation of what's going on with the latest hit TV show and uh, be in the know with uh, what's at the top of the music charts and uh, what fits with culture. My friend, God has not called us to be enamored with wretchedness. He's called us to be enamored with righteousness. We must cling to righteousness. If it is God's love that drives us to salvation, please don't miss this. It ought to be God's love that drives us to sanctification. God's love should have been the driving force that helped you get saved. If it wasn't the main thing that helped you get saved, it should have been realized shortly thereafter. And it ought to be God's love that drives you to sanctification. A young lady was um, uh, out with some friends. A teenage girl was out with some friends. And uh, the friends said to her, hey, we're going to go to this establishment. We're going to go over to this party and have a good time. And the girl said, I don't think my father would like that. Please take me home. And the friends said, what, are you afraid of your dad finding out? Are you afraid that your dad is going to punish you? The young lady wisely looked at her friends and said, oh, no, I'm not afraid of my dad hurting me because I go to the party. I'm afraid that my decision will hurt my dad. You see there the difference. You see there the importance. Too many Christians are walking around saying, what's wrong with something? Rather, we ought to walk around and say, would that please my father? Would that make him feel loved or would that make him feel disappointed? I sit there in my chair and I turn on the TV. Is the show I'm watching, the movie I'm watching. And by the way, a lot of us are going to have a lot of time at home over the next few weeks. You be careful what you watch on Amazon Prime and Netflix. There's a lot of filth out there. There's a lot of things out there that do not please the Lord that will defile you, that will contaminate you. You be careful what you tune into. You be careful what you watch. You be careful what you rent. We ought to not be driven by a sense of God hurting us, but rather a sense that my lifestyle choices may hurt the one who died for me. Look back up at 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says, "Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us." that we should be called the sons of God. We looked at this verse two weeks ago. Behold what manner of the love the Father hath poured out all over us, that we get to be called the children of God, the sons and daughters of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Look at verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. The next several verses go on to explain how it is that Christ sees humanity, both the lost and the saved. Let's look at four thoughts uh, as we seek to understand 1 John chapter 3 just a little bit more. Let's consider this truth of seeing yourself from God's perspective. Number one, notice a spiritual cleansing. A spiritual cleansing. Everyone get a half sheet outlined tonight. I encourage you to fill that out. As we go this evening, a spiritual cleansing. Look down with me at First John chapter 3 and verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him 
purifieth himself even as he is pure. Let's look very closely at this verse. Notice there, every man hath this hope. Every man hath this hope. Uh, what hope is this? Oftentimes I find myself drifting through the Christian life. Uh, if you were to ask me if I'm any more like Christ today than I was a week ago or a month ago, uh, more often than not, I wouldn't know how to answer the question. If someone were to sit you down right now and say, uh, are you, call your first name and say, are you more like Christ today than you were seven days ago or 30 days ago? Would that question make you uncomfortable? Would that question make you, uh, I don't really know how to answer that. You see, if we're not living our life intentionally, if we're not growing intentionally, we're not going to grow. We, we will not grow. By the way, this is oftentimes why God brings hardships into our lives. Because He's trying to stir up our mediocrity. He's trying to get us out of the place uh, where we've been resting and help us to move on to a higher uh, altitude in our walk uh, with Him. And we see maybe that this could be what God is doing to our world. He's trying to get our attention so that we'll uh, 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 get off of our busy hamster wheel type lifestyles and look up at Him and realize Him and and spend time with Him. If you uh, are here this evening and you don't know uh, whether or not you're closer to Him, you may ask, how does a Christian fuel himself forward through the process of purifying himself? What is the driving force? How do I get motivated to get up and get closer to God? The answer is simple. It's by focusing on the love of God. Notice the process here. Notice the process here. As I focus in on God's love, there is a great hope that wells up inside of me. What is that great hope? That great hope is that I'm going to stand in heaven before God and I'm going to be made whole and perfect in His image. You say, well, pastor, I can live however I want and one day Jesus will come back and He's going to get me and I'll be instantaneously cleaned up. And that is true, but... Can I ask you a question? Do you want to be caught living a sinful lifestyle when Jesus comes back to get you? What would you like to be doing when Jesus returns, if the trumpet sounds? Uh, uh, how many here would say, I'd like to be reading my Bible or praying, right? How many here would say, I'd like to just be finishing up the sinner's prayer with someone and watch someone get saved and then Jesus comes back and whoop, we both get to go up uh, together. Boy, I sure would rather be doing, uh, or maybe sitting in a church service or uh, praying with a disgruntled Christian, comforting uh, the uh, the feeble-minded, supporting the weak. Amen? Like we talked about this morning. Uh, I sure would rather be doing one of those things than be caught telling a lie or caught stealing something something or caught in a moment of lust or uh, uh, caught in uh, a moment of being carnal and in the flesh and proud boy I sure would hate for Jesus to come back while I'm behaving like that one day Jesus is coming my friend and you can say well he's going to make me whole in that moment boy I don't want to be raptured in sin and then be staring Jesus in the eye I I, I want to be caught doing right I want to be caught growing and going I want to be caught how do I get there? How do I daily grow? How do I daily go? How do I uh, find the motivation to get up off the schneid, if you will, and go for the Lord? I must focus in on His love for me. When I focus on God's love, it drives me to the hope of heaven, and it drives me to want to be more like 
Jesus Christ. James chapter 4 verse 8 says this, uh, uh, Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Listen to this, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Churches are filled with Christians who have clean hands and dirty hearts. Churches are filled with Christians who have everything right on the outside and are filled with sinfulness on the inside. You present yourself one way in front of your church people, your church friends, but yet God knows you to be something totally different on the inside. Uh, you know, Jesus got all over the Pharisees for this. He said they were whited sepulchers filled with what? Dead men's bones. Dead men's bones. They looked all presentable on the outside. They were a wretched wreck on the inside. Christian, don't be guilty of that. Oh, wash your hands. Your outward appearance matters. Uh, man judges you on the outward appearance, but God does see your heart. And we don't want to be guilty of being double-minded. A spiritual cleansing. What is this uh, chapter about? It's about the sanctification process. Now, before we move on to point two, I want to make sure I, I, I make this clear. The sanctification process is sloppy. It's sloppy. One day you're doing great, the next day you're not doing so great. I have described it this way. The Christian life oftentimes is two steps forward and one step backwards. And then two steps forward and then one step backwards. And then two more steps forward and one step backwards. And we do, at times, take steps backwards. And we do, at times, backslide. And we do, at times, make mistakes. And we do, at times, get cold in our walk with the Lord. And we do, at times, miss our prayer time. And we do, at times, uh, uh, fail to behave the way we should in our marriage or our other relationships. And uh, we need to make sure that we're taking more steps forward. Can I also add this to the married folks in the room this morning? Nothing will show you how unsanctified you are like being married will. There is nothing that will show you how, how unholy you are than the stress of a marriage. Marriages will show you where you're broken. Marriages will show you where you don't have it all together. And listen, you can put your finger in your spouse's face and make it all about their fault, but probably it's partially your fault too. Now, I'm not saying in every case, but the sanctification process is sloppy. Christians, we need to commit to it. We need to commit to being holy and living like our Jesus. Number one, a spiritual cleansing. Number two, notice a sinful creation. Now, we're going to take uh, uh, two separate thoughts here, and in point three, we're going to tie them together. So let's take what we've just talked about, set that to the side, and let's focus in on this thought of a sinful creation. Look with me at 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 4. Notice here, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Look down at verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Look down at verse number 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And so here we see that uh, you and I are at our base, wicked, horrible people. What do I mean? 
I mean that we are sinners. Someone says to you or I, uh, I am a good person and on that merit, I should get to heaven. I would say read 1 John 3, 4, 6, 8, 9. And you're going to learn real quick that you're not lining up with God. You're lining up with the devil. If you've committed sin at all, notice it doesn't say sins. The word sin there is singular. He that committeth sin is of the devil. Can I ask a question this evening? Uh, this evening, how many of you have at any point in your life committed sin? Would you raise your hand? You know what that means? That means that we're all of the devil. Someone says uh, it is offensive to call someone a child of the devil. Listen, I didn't say it. First John chapter three said it. If you've committed sin, then you are of the devil, uh, a sinful creation. There is no human being walking this earth. I don't care how big of a philanthropist they are. I don't care how much good they uh, claim they've done or even have done uh, in this world. It does not erase the sin that we've done. We are wicked. At our base, notice letter A, unbelievers transgress God's law. Unbelievers transgress God's law. Look back at verse number four. This is a very, very important distinction to make in the message. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is the transgression of the law. The word committed means to do habitually. To do habitually. This is someone who is living in habit sin, intentional habit sin. They have uh, no care that they're doing wrong. It does not bother them that they're doing wrong. They're living in sin and they even boast about it. They are trampling the laws of God and do not care that they are doing so. During the Democrat debate that took place last Sunday, an advertisement ran by a man named Ron Reagan. Uh, he was promoting his Freedom From Religion Foundation. He claimed to be a devout atheist. He ended the commercial by saying uh, that he was not afraid of burning in hell. He was not afraid of burning in hell. Those are That is a quote from his mouth. Uh, and he said it with a smug attitude. This man is committing sin. This man is committing sin. I, I've mentioned this before, but I worked for a short time at a company in Aberdeen, Maryland called Super Value. And they had, it was a warehouse where you selected uh, uh, produce and uh, uh, loaded up pallets and sent them out to the grocery stores. And uh, I uh, would show up for a pre-shift meeting. I remember the first day I showed up for the job. And I, I got there early, as I always do, and working a job of this nature. And sword got there early, and I punched in, and, and I was uh, uh, getting to my locker for this first time. I was amazed at how many times um, uh, a certain uh, word in the alphabet that I will not even reference the letter of, but the filthiest and most vile of words. I was amazed at how many times that ear land, word landed in my ear in just 15 minutes prior to that, that shift meeting started. Uh, those folks are trampling on God's law. They're, they're, they're stomping all over God's law and don't care. I would uh, remember Friday evenings when we'd finish up late into the evening. We'd be uh, 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 taking our things off and getting our things out of our locker. And men had just gotten paid and they're talking about how they're heading out to the clubs. And some of these are gentlemen's clubs uh, where women of the night would work. And uh, they're, and I'm, 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 being, uh, I'm using uh, uh, ambiguous terms or vague terms on purpose 
here. Uh, and they're talking about how they were going to waste their money away on a party lifestyle. These are people who are sinning. They know they're sinning. They know it's wrong. They are committing sin. They are doing wrong. They are living a lifestyle that trans Gresses the law. You say, well, pastor, not everyone uh, who is um, uh, lost is, is doing this. Some folks try to live a moral life. And I would say, while that is true, Proverbs chapter 21 verse 4 reminds us, in high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Romans chapter 14 verse 23 reminds us that for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Did you know that for a lost person even to breathe... They're committing sin. For a lost person, even to do a kind act, a part of faith in God, that is sin. Why? Because if it's not done in faith to God, it is wrong. It's done separate of God or devoid of God. And God views that as sin. It is a trampling of God's law because they are living in a state of unbelief. So please understand here that verse 4 is not talking to the saved. Verse 4 is talking to the lost because the lost trample God's law. Uh, so notice the distinction here. Unbelievers transgress God's law, while letter B, believers transgress God's love. While believers transgress God's love. Look down at verse number 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him neither known him. So if you are saved and you are abiding in the Lord, you cannot live in sin, at least from God's view. Why? You cannot trample God's law. You have been saved from that. Now, notice here that in verse 6, we must abide in Christ. We must abide in Christ. Please hear what I'm about to say. The moment that I stop abiding in Christ, that means I start walking apart from Christ, I'm wandering away from that relationship with the Lord. I'm going to very quickly begin doing wrong. You remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Boy, when they were with the Lord, they did no sin. When was Eve tempted to eat the fruit? When she was away from both Adam and the Lord. And then Eve brought that fruit to Adam and offered it to Adam. And what did Adam do? He ate the fruit, but the Lord was not standing right there. I believe that if the Lord had been there, uh, present, and, and, and knowing, they would have known His presence was there. Uh, when that temptation happened, they would not have eaten the fruit. When they stopped abiding with God, that was when the temptation to fall presented itself. Christian, if you're not abiding in Christ, and He's not abiding in you, the temptation is very quickly going to be to walk in your own uh, trust. If Listen, here, here's what I'm trying to say. If you're not abiding in Christ, that means you're relying on self. And relying on self is wrong. It is a sin. Now, look. Uh, let me read for you John chapter 5, verse 24. The, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. What does John chapter 5 verse 24 teach us? It teaches us that if you put your faith in Christ to, uh, uh, for your salvation, then you can no longer transgress the law. Why? You have passed from death unto life. You cannot transgress the law because you have been saved. So when a Christian sins, what is the Christian transgressing? He is transgressing God's love. 
You have experienced God's love. God's love has saved you. It has saved you out from underneath the condemnation of sin. And so now what am I transgressing? I'm trampling on God's love for me. Boy, I have gone to the foot of the cross. I have stood there. I have called on the name of Jesus Christ to save me. My reliance has been on Him. I have experienced His love. And now I'm going to walk away from that and go back into sin? I'm going to go back into doing wrong? I'm not just at this point transgressing God's law. Oh no, I am transgressing against the love of God that saved me from that very sin. Boy, Christian, be careful. Be careful. A Christian who allows a habit sin to enter his life and then just shrugs the shoulders and says, well, everybody has some vice. Eh, Everybody has some struggle. My friend, that sin nailed your Savior to the cross. We ought to be careful. A sinful creation. Notice number three. And very importantly, notice a sinless Christ. I believe verse five helps us to begin to understand this passage and sort of begins to tie things together. Look at verse five. And ye know, speaking of Jesus, that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. Aren't you glad that Jesus was perfect? Aren't you glad that he was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin? In him is no sin. Look back at the beginning of the verse there. Ye know that he was manifested. He was put on display for us. Why? To take away our sins. Like many of you, I have always found this passage a difficult one to understand. But I believe verse 5 is the key to understanding the passage. God looked down on sinful humanity and condemned them to death in hell. Christ came to earth and became our sin and suffered in our place. Verse 5 says, in him is no sin. Jesus suffered vicariously on the cross. He was displayed on the cross, verse 5 teaches, for the purpose of doing what? Taking away our sin. Our sin is no more. Our sin has been removed. Oh, the power of the cross. The power of the cross has taken away that sin. And when God in heaven looks down on me, and He looks down on you, if you're saved this evening, God in heaven does not see your sin. Even those sins that you're living in right now, He does not see the sin. Why? Because He sees you through stained, uh, rose-stained glasses. He sees you through the blood of Christ. He sees you as saved. Uh, we read what verse 6 says, and we think, I sin today. Does this mean that I do not know God and, uh, and that I've not seen uh, His hand of salvation? Or we look down at verse 9 and think, I committed sin today. Does this mean that I have not been born again? Pastor, does verse 9 really teach that a child of God cannot and will not sin? Clearly not. Look over at 1 John chapter 2 and look at verse number 1. Look at 1 John chapter 2 verse number 1. It says, My little children, my little born again ones, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. Look here. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate there is the word paraclete, the same word used to translate as comforter or Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit. Verse 2, and he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here's how this works. God in heaven, he looks through Jesus sitting on his right hand, and he sees you through the person of Jesus. He doesn't see someone committing sin. He sees someone who is holy. He sees someone who is cleaned up. He sees someone who is righteous. He he sees someone who is without sin. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our go-between. He is our advocate. A sinless Christ. A sinless Christ. Number one, we noticed a spiritual cleansing. Number two, a sinful creation. Number three, a sinless Christ. Notice number four, a sanctified Christian. A sanctified Christian. Christian. Look at me in 1 John chapter 3 and look at verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. I hope you understand the passage tonight is very clear. Either God looks down on you and he sees you through the person of Jesus or he doesn't. If he sees you through the person of Jesus, he doesn't see any of your sin. If Jesus has not saved you, then he does not see you through the person of Jesus. And all he can see you in is wretched and broken and sinful and on your way to hell. But can I tell you this evening that if you're saved, your relationship is changed from creator to creation. uh, It's changed from that into father and son. Father and son. Now our relationship, that dynamic changes. Letter A, notice, notice this. Union is found in sonship. Union is found in sonship. Look down at verse number 1 of 1 John chapter 3. Behold... What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called what? The sons of God. Look down at verse number 9. Whosoever is, read those next three words with me, born of God doth not commit sin. Uh, for John chapter 1 verse 12 tells us how we become the sons of God. How we become born of God. John 1.12 gives us the only prerequisite, but as many as receive him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Uh, we, receive, uh, we receive salvation when we believe on the name of Jesus as our only way to heaven. You're in First John. Turn over to chapter 5 and verse number 13. Notice here the uh, Security of the believer. These things have I written unto you that what believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Uh, once you realize God's love, uh, it ought to lead to a faith decision to believe in Christ for your salvation. Once you believe, you become a child of God. That is the only prerequisite. You must come to a place in your life where you see yourself 
as God sees you. How does God see you this evening? If you have never ever called on the name of Jesus Christ to save you, or in that and that alone, maybe you're leaning, leaning on Christ some, but you're also putting faith in your own goodness, in your own works. My friend, God only wants you to put your faith in Him. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that it's, uh, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus chapter 3 verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He hath saved us by the washing of regeneration. Uh, so how are we saved? Not by putting our faith in our own works, by only believing and receiving Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm getting at. If you've never done that, then God sees you as wretched and broken and committing sin. The moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus, now God looks at you through the person of Jesus Christ and he sees you as holy. Here's how he sees you. He sees you as his son. Sonship brings about union. There is a union. Please understand this evening. Please hear me. Sonship can never be broken. It can never be broken. No matter what somebody does, they can, they can, they can never cease to be the child of God. If my son or my daughter were to grow up and change their last name and rob a bank and murder someone in the process and fly to Africa to get away and disown me, uh, boy, I tell you what, fellowship would be broken. But sonship can never ever be broken. People do things all the time that are wrong, uh, that hurt God, that violate God's love. They, they don't violate God's law because they've been forgiven of the condemnation of the law, but they violate God's love and God is hurt. And listen, my friend, uh, a fellowship can be broken between you and God, but sonship can never be broken. There is a union found in sonship that can never be broken. Letter B, notice, Communion is found in fellowship. Communion is found in fellowship. Look with me at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Now, John loves the word abide. John loves the word abide. Turn over to John chapter 15 with me this evening. We'll finish the sermon here. John chapter 15. And uh, verse number 4, a passage that we're all familiar with. Uh, John, 1 John 3, 6 sounds a lot like John chapter 15 uh, and verse 4. Here Jesus is, is, is exhorting his disciples. Verse 4, abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Notice the rest of the verse here. For without me, ye can do nothing. Ye can do nothing. There's a story about uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was crossing the road one day. He stopped and uh, horse carriages were buzzing by him on both sides. And the company that he was keeping was a deacon. And the deacon 
made it across the street, deacon from his church, and looked back behind him and noticed that his preacher wasn't with him and saw the preacher standing there in the middle of the street with these horse and buggies buzzing by him on both sides and noticed his preacher was looking up toward the heavens. And uh, the preacher made it across the street and uh, his deacon said to him, he said, I assume you were praying. And Mr. Spurgeon said, oh, yes, I was. And he said that prayer couldn't have waited till you got across the street. You almost died there in the middle of the road. He said, the Lord prompted me about something I had done that did not please him. I could not take another step until getting that account cleared between me and my God. Christian, how's your relationship with God this evening? How's your communion with the Lord? Please understand if you're saved, your union is not in jeopardy. It's not enough just to have union with God. We need to have communion with our God. God does not look down at you and see you as a wretched sinner. He sees you as a righteous saint. But is it just enough to have the title of being righteous? Or do you want to live worthy of that calling? Boy, verse 3 says that we're to purify ourselves even as He is pure. We're not in some sort of contest. I'm not in a race with Pastor Morales or Brother Vara or Brother Scarpetti or any of the men here to see if I can be more righteous with them. Oh, no, no, no. I think of a bride who prepares herself for that wedding day where she will wholeheartedly, as a virgin, give herself to her husband. She takes uh, weeks and months to plan out a wedding and prepare uh, her dress and uh, 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 beauty up her bridesmaids and uh, pick the finest of perfumes and make sure that her hair is just right and her nails are just right and her makeup is just right. What is she doing? She's preparing herself for that day where she will give herself to her groom. One day, my friend, Jesus is coming back in the clouds to get His church. We are going to be His bride. And God wants us to begin to purify ourselves and to cleanse ourselves and to make ourselves right righteous and sanctified and whole. Oh, no, not so we can outdo some brother or sister in the church or some church across town. No, no, no. We're not preparing ourselves for each other. We're preparing ourselves to see King Jesus. If He were to come back today, would you look at Him and say, I'm not everything I ought to be, but I've been doing my part to resist the devil. I've been doing my part to cleanse my hands and purify my heart. Oh Lord, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm ready to spend eternity with you. Christian, do you, are you enjoying communion and fellowship with the Savior? If not, boy, what else does God need to do to get our attention? He has sent a pestilence on this earth. He is shutting down our economy. He's hitting us in the wallet. He's touching the health of this world. And God is trying to rattle our cages collectively and say, Give me your attention. Oh, to the lost, will you turn to Jesus? And oh, to the saved, will you walk worthy of your calling? Lord Jesus, tonight we ask that you'd help us.
to not just rest on our union, but Lord, seek to have constant communion and fellowship with You. Help it not to be enough for us just to be saved and just stumble our way through the Christian life. Oh God, would You help us to turn and focus in on Your love. That great love that altered our being, altered our state, altered our eternal destination. That great love that adopted us into Your family. Help that to propel us forward into a lifestyle that's holy and clean and righteous. Lord, may we prepare ourselves for the day where You'll come back and get us. Lord, where we'll walk in perfect fellowship with You. Help us not to wait till we get to heaven to have that fellowship. Lord, help us to run to that fellowship right now. Lord, if there's someone watching online or even someone here in this room this evening who's not yet put their full faith, their full trust in You, help them to understand the way You see them. Help them to understand that they're wretched, they're lost, they're bound for hell unless they turn to Your Son for forgiveness. Lord, those that are lost, help them this evening to fall on their knees and call on Your name. Put their full faith and trust in what You did on the cross. Lord, help the lost to be saved. Help the saved commit to living a lifestyle of communion with You. In Jesus' name.